Mission, a live book club podcast where we read some of our favorite books about mission, justice, and social change together. My name is Mitch, and with me is Emily. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of lands and waters of Australia and pay respects to elders past and present. We recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and culture. What are we reading tonight, Mitch? We are continuing our journey through Ash Barker's Make Poverty Personal with Chapter 6 titled The Early Church Standing Against Poverty Together. This chapter picks up at the time of Pentecost and Ash dives into the story of the early church as an example of a kingdom community living out God's call to eliminate poverty together. Then he describes the church as an alternate society where people are treated equally and poverty is non-existent. He shows us how three traditional wings of the church, evangelical, charismatic, and radical, embody aspects of the church's early core. And he challenges us to go beyond charitable giving and relief efforts to address poverty and ultimately calls for a deep solidarity with the poor to promote radical transformation. It's a really great chapter. I'm really excited to get stuck in. But before we do, Emily, what's a bright spot from last week? Yeah, um... It's been a pretty busy couple of weeks. We had our church Christmas carols on Sunday night. So yes. um, that, was, that was pretty fun. I got to do some fun jobs on that. Um, yep. I got to do some hosting and things like that. So that was pretty great. Yeah, it turned out different than we expected because mm. nothing ever goes as planned these days. <laughs> um, Not so, in 2021. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So that was just a lot of... Um, Last minute changes, but that's okay. Um, yeah. Overall, it was pretty fun. So, yeah. What yeah, about you? That's good. I'm going to break my rule. Ooh. I'm not bringing a, a highlight tonight. What are you bringing? I am bringing a lament oh. to, this, to this community. I, just, I have been grieving the loss of one of my favorite cafes. Oh, so that's such a Melbourne recently, thing to say. I I know I know but there was a cafe near my house that has recently it it seems that the owners have sold up and handed the business on to um someone else so it's all been rebranded and all the tables are cleared out and new ones are brought in and it's been painted and the the thing that has got me bummed about it is that literally the week before um we really started taking covid seriously in Melbourne Literally the week before, I had a conversation with one of the owners around starting like a bit of a board games club, which I'd been really wanting to do for ages. And they had this great big table out the back of their cafe that would have been perfect for getting people along and playing board games together. And then COVID happened. And so obviously we couldn't gather in person and play board games with people. And just as we're starting to like, really get back to a place where it's safe to everyone for everyone to come to a cafe and play board games together. <sighs> they sold and oh. that big table's gone. Oh, that is a bit of a lament. So yeah. Shout outs to Nicole and Marcus, wherever you are. I, I hope that, yeah, look, I hope you're feeling less stressed, not having a business <laughs> during COVID. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so that's that is my that is my lament this week. It will um, be. So the other rule I'm breaking, Emily, oh, is Oh no. I don't have a clever oh. question for you. I don't have anything to like 
try and stump you and throw you and, you know, get us talking about the themes of the book. But I did want to ask you, we're recording this on the 21st of December. What are you most looking forward to about Christmas? Seeing my family. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have like particular Christmas traditions that come out every year? I'm, I don't know. Christmas is like we go to church generally at some point, yeah. either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And Christmas Day is with my mum's side of the family. So we mm. have like lunch and have copious amounts of food, um, oh, so much. more food than you need. And we do desserts really well in that side of the family. So I think um, from the list that I've seen, we've already got like three or four desserts, which is insane <laughs> for the like from maybe. The planning spreadsheet. We don't have a planning spreadsheet. You don't have a spreadsheet. Do you have oh, a spreadsheet? How, how do you organize anything? Because no, we, just, we just, we just, we just don't. We just do that much complicated. Yeah, stuff. and everyone sort of brings the same stuff every year, so it's kind of yeah, like sure. we know these people bring the salads, these people bring a dessert. We used to always have uh, leftover ham sandwiches on our our drive up to yeah uh, Pambula Beach for our holiday every year nice. after Christmas. It was pile into the car and. Christmas ham some, sandwich. Uh, Christmas ham. Yeah. It's, it's like a wonderful time. Yeah. What about Christmas you? What are your family Christmas traditions? Uh, very similar. Uh, we do Christmas Eve with my wife's side of the family and then we'll stay over at their place and uh, Christmas morning we'll try and head back to our the church where we grew up um, and Christmas lunch with that same side of the family and then dinner with my side and then we will smash three espressos and uh, jump in the car at midnight and try and get home because my wife and I live in a holiday destination. And last year we stayed over at my parents' place and drove home on Boxing Day and it took us two hours more than it normally does. So oh my goodness. we vowed never to drive home on Boxing Day ever oh, again. <laughs> that's insane. That was a mistake. Yeah. We oh, will wow. not be doing that again. Oh, wow. We're not just here to chat Christmas. And no. We're not just here to uh, salivate over the uh, <laughs> anticipation of Christmas lunches to come. We are here to talk about the early church. So we are picking up the, the story of the Bible in the book of Acts. And we're going to go through we're focusing on the period of Pentecost, which is uh, Acts chapter 2-ish. Mm. Pentecost is 40 days after Easter, or is that the Ascension, or is that both? The 50th day. Oh, 50 days. So 40th must be the Ascension. Yeah. Oh, because Pentecost, Pent is 50. Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Duh. Duh. It's on on the tin. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, how good are we? And I'm clearly we're etymologists story. as well. So yeah, great with our right. language. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, Pentecost commemorates a roughly – uh, we celebrate Pentecost 50, roughly 50 days. No. We celebrate Pentecost 50, 50 days, days after yeah. Easter. Um, and we remember and celebrate the uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit and mm. the, the upper room – one of the many upper room experiences, there are a few in the Bible, uh, where the disciples were gathered in Jerusalem and had an experience of the Holy Spirit that led to them speaking in tongues. And uh, it's the moment that is generally considered the uh, the birth of the church. 
So our chapter opens with a reflection from uh, the Apostle Peter's perspective of the time immediately following the uh, the crucifixion through the resurrection and then up to um, the the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Um, and there was just one thing that I wanted to highlight. It's the last paragraph of Ash's reflection here is his creative reflection. Um, because this kind of gives us the uh, the overture of what we're going to be talking about tonight. Quote. That day, people from all walks of life did what God asked them to do through me, Peter, and we baptized around 3,000 people. As they left their old selves behind, out of the river came a new movement, a movement that would change the world, a movement empowered by God's spirit to see God's reign come on earth as in heaven. So, Emily, before we jump in, what were your overall impressions of this chapter? I liked it. I like, well, as I've said, that's probably how I've started every single one of these. There hasn't kind of been a dud yet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, probably. Yeah. No, I don't think there has been a dud. No. Um, so, you know, to be completely on brand. Yeah. I liked it. Um, yep. Great. <laughs> um, I enjoyed um, the reflections on the three different branches of the church um, and the response that um, each sort of evoke within the people of the church. Um, yeah. And I think it's a nice way of looking at, well, that's not nice. Nice is, nice is too simplistic and too like wrapped up in a bow, but I think it acknowledges the significance and importance of each kind of yeah movement within the church and mm. it's not one or the other. There should mm. be unity within these yeah. things and each. Yeah. Um, there are strengths in all um, and yes. they can bring out the best, brings out yeah. the best in people. Yeah. And that unity in a diversity of expression is going to be something that keeps coming up in this chapter, like mm. um, something we'll, we'll get to, but I, I found really helpful in this is, Ash's focus on, or um, he talks a bit about specialist Christian communities as opposed to generalist Christian communities. Mm. And actually, you know, it's it's fine and good that your Christian community has strengths and an identity that others don't. And you actually don't need to be all things to all people. Mm. And it actually makes you more effective if you lean into the things that, God has equipped you to do. Mm. Um, and that's that's true of communities. I think that's broadly speaking true of people as well. And I think mm. it's taking, because I think we talk about a lot that a lot at an individual level, as we should. Yes. Um, but yep. this brings it into that community level. So yeah. when you're yep. with your tribe in that space, yeah. um, you can bring the best out in each other. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So that's that's the first of many times we're gonna we're gonna keep going. Reminder: the Bible is talking about communities. Mm. The Bible very very rarely talks about individuals mm. and is instead focused on the life, well being, flourishing, and uh, activity of whole communities, mm. nation of Israel, early church. You know um, the the 
the patriarchal families that you know in Abraham and mm. Isaac and Jacob. You know, there's there, we're talking communities where more than we're talking individuals, which mm. is something that gets lost, I think, in this day and age where we are so focused on the the individual and the most sense of community we often get to is the the nuclear family. Mm. Um, but yeah, so we're going to keep coming back to what is God's calling for us as communities and particularly in the context of this book as communities of faith. Um, so I'm going to keep reading a couple of uh, a paragraph. Yep. A paragraph and a bit from page 139 quote. After the day of Pentecost, described in the reflection above, amazing things happened, not least of which was the hope of the kingdom being transformed into a movement, Christ's new body. There are three distinctive characteristics of the early church that we can see immediately after Pentecost that provide a uniquely Christian response to ending poverty. Jumping ahead a little bit. Pentecost enabled ordinary people not to have to live under oppression but rather be empowered to create a new identity and belonging. So something I highlighted there and um, have scribbled in the margins that just keeps coming up throughout this uh, chapter is how um, God has called and equipped the church to be, God has called and equipped the church to be this alternative kind of society. Um, you know, when you join into the, when you join into what God is doing in the church, you are stepping into a society that is that runs parallel to all of the other societies that you might be a part of, whether that's you know a nation or a you know even much smaller societies like a neighborhood or a sports club or something like that. Um, the church is an opportunity to explore what it is to be together and how we can help each other and how we can support each other and how we can experiment and iterate and try and do this stuff better than it often has been done in history through, you know, nations and societies. Um, you know, people who get missed in our broader societies, when they come to the church, they should experience a society where they are not missed, where no one's mm. missed, uh, no one's skipped over, no one's ignored. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, similar in that vein with what you were talking, well, what we were talking about last fortnight. Um, mm. It coming back to you know selling all you have to give to the yes. poor, but yeah. in exchange um, you get a community of yeah. support and. Togetherness, and I think Ash goes further into that later in this chapter. By you know, Absolutely. it wasn't necessarily sell all you've got and give to the poor, and you'll have nothing. But mm. it's sell all you have and be in community and together and share what yeah. you've got with each other yeah. and the broader community as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so that, yeah, that story of the rich one. Which one, Wula? Which which one ruler exactly? <laughs> that story of the rich young ruler from uh, a fortnight ago, kind of you know this this is a this 
this chapter is in conversation with that story, mm. you know. Surprise, surprise, the uh, the early church continues to explore and live out the teachings of Jesus. Uh, what, a, what, a radical, uh, <laughs> what a radical thing to learn. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. This is why you listen to the podcast, everyone, you know, these, these brilliant insights. Yeah, hot takes. <laughs> hot takes, hot takes. Jesus' disciples tried to do things like Jesus. <laughs> hot takes. <laughs> um, so... As we've uh, already alluded to, the bulk of this chapter or the first part of this chapter is an exploration of these three traditional wings of the church, the evangelical wing, the charismatic wing, and the radical wing. These aren't, um, these aren't formal, you know, denominations or structures or anything like that. They're just, you know, broad. If we painted with broad brush strokes, most churches and most... Um, traditions within the Christian faith would kind of fall somewhere into this kind of triangle of uh, traditions. Just to frame our discussion of these three, a short quote from uh, the end of the first paragraph of page 140. Um, Quote, There have been ideological factions in Christ's body that deny or forget aspects of Pentecost. The fullness of the spirit has been restricted because it didn't fit the emphasis or values of a particular denomination or church. The world's poor, however, can't afford this disunity or such blinders. They need the whole gospel. The world's poor need Jesus' body to be expressed fully, as it was in the early church, as a truly evangelical, charismatic, and radical community and movement. Yeah. So the first one we're going to dive into is an evangelical church and poverty. Emily, what do you think of when I say evangelical? Um, I think I, I mean, there's probably a couple of things. So um, yep. the evangelical church in terms of probably what now is or maybe part of the culture that's being perpetuated and things like that is the American sort of right-wing mm. conservative discourse. Yeah. Um, that, Capital E evangelism. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then also there's actually what evangelism is, which is just sharing the good news. Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I find there's a tension in there about what evangelism mm. is versus what we maybe culturally define as evangelical um, and how I, I don't know how I like learning how to align myself. Mm. Totally. There's a massive difference between um, the capital E evangelical church and the lowercase e evangelical church that we're going to be talking about tonight, but they are linked in that they, you know, the, the capital E evangelical church is the kind of church that Ash is talking about here with the lowercase evangelical church, just plus a whole bunch of baggage. Mm. Um but what the, the kinds of things that mark an lowercase evangelical church and an uppercase evangelical church, but um, the kind of things that mark them are, you know, that tend to be an emphasis on Bible teaching. Mm. Um, you know, preaching is usually really prominent. Um, they're the kinds of churches that uh, if you, you've ever heard someone go, oh, I really want to really go and check out this church. They've got really good teaching. That's an evangelical church. Yeah. Um, the emphasis is on, you know, the the 
telling, sharing, and understanding the story and um, the the stories of Jesus, and by extension, the stories of God active throughout the world as recorded and recounted to us in the Bible. Um, so yeah, churches that have tend to have a really strong emphasis on the Bible. Um, and churches that tend to have a really strong emphasis on, you know, preaching and teaching. Uh, those are the kinds of churches that we're talking about when we're talking evangelical church. We're not talking specifically, you know, the capital E evangelical church movement that has primarily emerged out of, you know, the United States, uh, but does exist everywhere. Mm. But yeah, there can be this really um, unhelpful overemphasis on the Bible, which is a weird thing for a Christian to say, but you know, we need to keep in mind we don't worship the Bible. Yeah. We worship Jesus. Yeah. We worship God. We worship the Holy Spirit. Um, and we worship the triune God together, who is revealed to us through the Bible. In part through the Bible and in part through our uh, direct personal connection with Jesus through the Holy, Spirit. the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And through, you know, our our experiences of God active in the world, our faith traditions, mm. um, something that evangelical, lowercase evangelical churches often attempt to do is to go, we don't believe in tradition, we don't have tradition, we just have the Bible. And that's not true because you have just done tradition mm. um, in that, you know, this is this is what we've done. We emphasize the, the Bible. Mm. Uh, you are doing tradition and you are also doing tradition in the way that you interpret the Bible. Mm. No one doesn't do tradition. Yeah. That's impossible. Yeah. Tradition is just culture perpetuated, really. Yeah. Yeah. Or peer pressure from dead people. Yeah. So in each of these uh, traditional wings of the church, Ash pulls out from the Pentecost story things that these traditions have emphasized that are present in the moment of Pentecost. And the four that he pulls out for the evangelical church is that um, the disciples were devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. So I'm going to read a quick paragraph. If the poor and non-poor alike are going to have their very identities recreated, they need to find ways to experience God and find his will. This is what these evangelical disciplines did for the early church. They reframed the frameworks the world and the demonic had set for the poor and the non-poor. For example, where the poor, sorry, for example, where the, geez, I did it again. For example, where the world declared the poor to be worthless, disciplines such as communion and teaching about what Jesus said created insight into the importance of the poor in God's reign. Where the demonic preyed on the most vulnerable, prayer created a spiritual authority to resist the demonic powers that seek to kill, steal, and destroy. It even busted the disciples out of jail at times. So, the four, discipline, the four disciplines that Ash identifies, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers, what do you think about those, Emily? Oh, all good, all necessary for community, all... Yeah. Very appropriate um, for, I guess, it's pro um, for our faith to grow and for those mm. things to happen. Um, I think I probably, 
I probably most strongly align with these ones because that's probably been my yeah. main experience in terms of mm. what church is and church history. So I yeah. look at that and go, oh, yeah, that's how we do church to me yeah. just because that's been my experience. I, I haven't yeah. necessarily had – I haven't been steeped in lots of sort of Pentecostal and charismatic movements yeah. Um, yeah. been exposed to but not deeply embedded in into my yeah experience which mm. yeah mm. Mm. yeah churches of christ is certainly would align most closely with the the evangelical point on this triangle mm. um i kind of assume baptists would as well but i don't super know i think it depends sometimes really well. at least in the new south wales baptist where well yeah it's yeah. um <laughs> it's definitely like, because we've got the autonomy within the church, so you yeah. don't have to be like, this is exactly how we do it. Same as Church of Christ as yeah, well, really. There's autonomy. Christ, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, there's autonomy. <laughs> yes, there is. Um, Church of Christ. Yeah. I mean, I think mm. there's. So something I scribbled in the margins here in regards to the, the discipline of fellowship, which I'll, I'll read um, Ash's point. Uh, I'll read Ash's dot point. They shared their lives together and were with each other most days. That one stuck out to me because I was thinking about that and I- We don't. I, we don't do that, no. do we? we? We're just not. I, I, I don't know. I, I have- my, my closest friends have um, you know, often been people that I attend church with and so you do start to spend more mm. time with people then. But for most people um, and most Christians, the, the people that you spend the most fellowship with are the people in your workplace mm. or the people at your school or there's people at your uni. Um, we actually, relative to the rest of our weeks, we spend very little time with our mm. church communities. And the time that we do spend is um, usually very structured. Like you are yes. either, you know, you're there for a program or you're there for an event or you're, you know, if you're um, someone like me and I'm guessing you, Emily, you know, you're there to run the tech desk or, you know. Uh, create space for the program, kids. Yeah. Create space for the kids, you know. Yeah. We, we, we don't do fellow, we don't do casual fellowship. Uh, very much, or I, or I haven't. The churches that I've been a part of haven't done that at a at a corporate church level very much. And I think part of it is just we don't live in as close community as the mm. early church did. You know, vast majority of people will drive to their church each week mm. rather than walk. Mm. Or you know, in when we're talking early church, where a big part of what they're doing is just meeting in Homes. people's houses. Yeah. yeah. You you know, you're just walking up the street to uh, Joe and Jane's place. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, it's interesting. I think that reflection left me feeling a bit sad. Yeah. Because um, it's interesting with that because I think exactly what you're talking about could be an argument for like – you know, working in Christian workplaces or working. I mean, I, I can't, I, at the moment I'm working in most of my roles are in Christian mm. contexts. So I'm not mm. dissing this at all Mine or anything because this is my current reality and this is what I'm going to talk about is a bit of a wrestle I've got at the moment. 
um, mm. as well in terms of, okay, like an argument for Christian schools and things like that as well. So then, you know, growing up in that community and being in that mm. space, um, yeah. you know, aligning yourself mm. with people with the same values and stuff. Um, yeah. As someone who hasn't grown up through Christian schools and has gone to local public schools, um, has spent a lot of time in through family people in ministry and family with them mm. in mm. the public in not Christian spaces. Um, my wrestle at the moment anyway is how do you how how do you how do I find space and where do I find space to not just be in a purely Christian space yeah. all the time? Because yeah. not only are we called to be in fellowship together, but we're also called out, but I also don't think the church exists for the sake of the world. Yeah, but also I don't yeah. think that's an excuse to remain completely insular or just be I just do church on Sundays and then do stuff in the community only kind of thing. Yeah. So I don't yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I No, I'm I'm right there with you. My, I I work two jobs, both of them are for Christian organizations and the big reflection is over the last year for me has been I don't know any of the people who live around me i know my immediate neighbors who have just this week moved away so now i don't know my immediate neighbors mm. um and i know people who attend my church and that's about it mm. um you know i've i've been thinking lots you know do i need to find myself a job that actually puts me in contact with people in my local community um do i need to join a sports team i'm going to try and find a basketball team oh, do you play basketball it's going to be a disaster oh mate um, i tried playing touch it was the same and i'm deal. on the wrong side of 30 now Whew. so like <laughs> it's just going to be bad your knees are going to break be, I'm, yeah i'm going to be that guy who rocks up at the stadium and uh do, tapes his knee do you um do um, you do you shoot your three pointers or whatever like michael scott does the good old flick, flick, I, bounce, 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 shoot, and then completely miss, or do you get do you safely get it? say that my sports skills are on par with <laughs> Michael Scott's? Hundred <laughs> um, percent. But seriously, though. But seriously, though, it is. Yeah, it's it's it is. It's an ongoing tension mm. for me. Uh, as I know it is for, for many people, and I don't think there's a solution. I think it's just follow God into mm. the different spaces that God has for you for different seasons. Oh, for um, sure. But, you know, without being passive. Yes. You know, actively seeking after where God wants you to fellowship. Yes, definitely. I don't know. No. I don't know. I'm thinking out loud. Yeah. No, I agree. I think, I think yeah. Yeah, I think it's also finding enough margin and space to then be able to, um, like, create that space and that margin if, like, mm. when you're busy and things, to be able to do that if you're, like, especially if you're in a lot of Christian circles and worlds and stuff and that mm. becomes your main life socially yep. and otherwise. Um, yeah to, yeah, create those spaces to <laughs> shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, I think so in this next paragraph um, about halfway mm. through on page 141, Ash says, um, 
evidence that the Holy Spirit was at work and not simply as a counterfeit. It was the sac- sacrificial response of to uh, Jesus' lordship were found. Uh, these community listening devices didn't make mm. life more comfortable but helped create and sustain the sacrifices and lives required to work toward ending oppression. These disciples' disciplines helped forge an identity in and confidence that could not be shaken by all that was happening around them and against them. They surrendered to God in these practices. God, in turn, transformed who they saw themselves to be and who they were with the Holy Spirit's authority working through them. And mm. I think that is exactly what we were just talking about in terms of yeah. following the Holy Spirit um, and the power of that surrender and trust that God mm. has you where he wants you. Um, mm. Mm. And as you were saying, actively seeking that and desiring that. And I think the way that Ash talks about how these disciplines shape us towards outcomes and responses um, to God's kingdom and to responses to the world, I found that really helpful. Mm. Um, and, I mean, the, the challenge that he, he puts to us is, you know, these, these disciplines, these rhythms that every community has, every community has repeated practices and repeated rhythms. Uh, most churches, you know, the the big rhythms are meet together on Sunday mornings. Um, you know, some churches have an additional rhythm of meetings together Saturday night, Sunday night, Friday night, whatever else it is. Um, and even within those, you know, rhythms of uh, we'll start with two songs and then we'll have a welcome and then we'll have announcements and then we'll have another song into communion and then possibly another song into the sermon and then a song to That's wrap a lot of up. songs. Yeah. Not all of those always make. I was going to say, the, do you guys uh, do five shape. songs a week? Sometimes. Wow. When I was growing up. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a very musical church. Okay. When I was growing up. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when you got the people for it. For sure. It um, works. Yeah. The services were an hour and a half long. Yeah. Um, that'll do it too. Yeah. There's a, um, yeah, the, the challenge that Ash gives us is, you know, we've got to keep constantly re-examining um, why we're doing mm. all these things so they don't just become calcified. You know, this is, this is what we do because this is what we do. Um, and I think and even come, well, we're not out of the pandemic yet. We're so far out of, mm. not out of the pandemic. It's yeah. But yeah. you know, as, yeah. as we're but, looking yeah, we're at shaping what this brave new world yeah. looks like yeah, and yeah, what, what church looks like, church what are the things like, and how we as young people and maybe not even just young people, but, as congregants, as people who um, fellowship together, how do our churches, what are the things that we need to prune maybe and what are the things that we need mm. to keep and what are the things that we need to yep. reshape um, as we move into these new, this different season? And I know that's something mm. my church, we've been looking a lot at in different areas mm. of ministry and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, um, as I was reading this, I was reminded of this um, quote that I saw as I was you know, on Twitter um, from a, a pastor, uh, Reverend Dr. Glenn Packiam. I have no idea who this person is other than two of his tweets came across my feed. Um, but he. So reliable source then. <sighs> Look. I'll read the words and uh, you go from there, you know. We can just take it in isolation from anything else. (laughs) 
because um, I thought it was incre- it's incredibly helpful for me in terms of framing you know all of these disciplines and what we do, our rhythms as a church. Um, coming from a, a little bit of a um, different angle, but the temptation when a church gains mass is for its gravitational pull to draw everyone into its orbit. Come to our events. Let us be the center of your community, mission, etc. And here's the bit I want to highlight. But the gatherings of a church are training wheels for a life of hospitality and service in the world. Discipleship should not be marked or measured by attendance, engagement, in service at the church. It should be discerned by how well those things have apprenticed us to live that way in the community. Can you send that to me? Lol jokes. Uh, after, after she was like dissing us. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, I'll, I'll See? humbly Trust accept me. defeat Trust there. Trust me. Yeah, I'll I'll chuck it up in the uh, in the Discord. Yeah, no, that's uh, good. Reading mission chat. Um, that that to me was incredibly helpful because I I am someone who gets um, I'm going to use the word sensitive around the amount of energy and effort that goes into maintaining the activities of a church. Mm. Um, because it's it's huge. People who are involved with you know managing, running, planning your church do a lot of work. Be gracious, kind, and generous to them. Um, but you know we can also get really stuck in just doing mm. that. So you know why why is that? What is the value of um, doing those things? And it, it, it's it's training wheels. I thought that was such a helpful idea. And I liked Um, the, you know, and I mean, we've been having lots of discussions about this kind of stuff anyway, about, you know, how we measure and how we um, define growth or what is, what is, what is is our church on about and why do we, why do we exist and um, all those fun existential questions and, Mm. Like, what is the purpose of the church, and how do we mm. how do we see growth? Is it and wanting to move away from you know it being about bums on seat on a Sunday, and yeah, the three B's: bums, bucks, and baptisms. Exactly right. <laughs> um, yeah, that that kind of stuff. So then, moving it more towards you know developing disciples mm. and equipping people to go out and be in their call, and I mean. You know, different churches have different areas of where they're good at doing that and maybe not as good and how it's happened and different things. So, yeah, and I think the big thing is acknowledging, you know, when we do this kind of stuff, we'll either – we might get more service at church, but then we might – we'll probably also get more people being like, like, well, I'm going to be somewhere else because I'm doing this thing mm, and mm, being okay mm, with that. Which doing yourself out of a job is is something that's going to come up again in this <gasps> towards the end of this chapter as well. So yeah, put a pin that in was that. one of the things that I was like, yep, yep, we'll get there, we'll get yeah. there, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to the charismatic church and poverty, which is this is this is definitely the the corner of the triangle that I have the least to do with and the least sense of comfort with. Ditto. Um, <laughs> uh, my, my church growing up, um, 
we it I reckon we started raising our hands during worship in about 2010. <laughs> oh, I feel like the church I grew up in, there were some, but not lots. And yeah. then I like made, I know when I moved to Sydney and was at my church yeah. that I'm at now, um, I was like made a conscious choice to go, no, it's okay to do this. I can do this. Cause it's like, I, yeah. I, I don't yeah. hate doing that at times, not all the time, but there's a point where I'm like, yeah, cool. Like it's a, for me, it's like an opening and a surrendering kind of thing. Cause this yeah. was a conversation I'd had with different people at some point. And yeah. I was like, well, why do you do it? Surely you don't always feel like doing it. And like, it seems like it's always a thing that you do. And they're like, well, it's actually like an act of surrendering and opening up. Mm. So you're not just holding on mm. to stuff. I was like, ah, oh, I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I like that too. I never raise my hands. It does nothing for me. Yeah, right. Nothing. Just <laughs> completely meaningless to me. But that's not. <laughs> but that doesn't that, make it. That's yeah. not the experience of so many other people. Yeah, and it and the fact that it does nothing for me is utterly irrelevant to you. Absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> so charismatic churches, uh, you know. Um, the in the same way that we had the uh, I love that you're can I just I just love that yeah. you're like charismatic is raising hands in church <laughs> in worship that's what I'm got that's that's how <laughs> that's your benchmark of char- in this tradition <laughs> this wing of the tradition I am <laughs> um, sorry I just I just so, wanted to no, right. sit in that for a second that's yeah no hundred percent. So charismatic churches are marked by uh, or tend to be marked by, uh, you know, obvious, visible, uh, observable uh, experiences of the Holy Spirit, which, you know, we're talking things like uh, if your if your church regularly has people speaking in tongues, if your church regularly has, um, you know, musical worship that goes on for 30 minutes um, just on the same three chords and people are, are raising their hands, crying and uh, fainting, possibly a charismatic church. Um, you know, healings, all of this, mm. you know, the kind of more miraculous, quote unquote, um, sides of the church tend to be in you know, your charismatic traditions. And so we're talking Pentecostals. Um, which is going to be the sort of the big touchstone for this section mm. of the book. Um, so I'll read how um, I'll read where Ash identifies the the charismatic wing of the tradition in the story of Pentecost. The society around this church experienced Jesus's interventions through a community that was responsive to God's authority in their daily lives. Evidence that the spirit was at work included that they spoke in tongues. It was as if they were drunk. They lost any pretense for the respectable image and let go of their own egos. Awe came upon them. They experienced a sense of who God was and his opinion of them mattered most. Many signs and wonders were done. They saw lives changed as evidence of God's will being done on earth as in heaven. Awe came upon them. They experienced a sense of who God was and his opinion of them mattered most. Yeah. That's, like, cool. See, when, when Ash articulates that, that makes me go, okay, yeah. I get what people like about charismatic yeah. churches. Yeah. 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 If I, if, I went, if I went to church 
every Sunday and experienced that, that would be fantastic. Mm. And I do, mm. um, I, th- I think, um, and also, you know, regularly outside of my, you know, outside of church just in life because that's that's something that I've tried to cultivate. Mm. Uh, but I don't think that experience of my everyday understanding of that is the same as what is being talked about here in this mm. this kind of moment of this, you know, overwhelming sense of God's presence of the spirit mm. face. No, I'm just no. no. <laughs> my thinking face. Resting thinking face. Yeah, resting thinking face. And just Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I think just maybe reflecting on times. I mean, I haven't necessarily been a maybe a physical manifestation of that. But well, mm. maybe somewhat physical, but maybe not as extreme maybe as you would think yeah. in a charismatic sense in terms of different yes. things. If that makes sense. So like yeah. quite more maybe more yeah. internal um yeah. But, yeah, feeling that sense of, like, oh, or just even sometimes it's this sense of, like, I I can't even put to words what that was, but I know it was God Mm. just in my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 100%. So I'm going to read, keep reading from page 142, just directly under this, because this is one of the funniest things I've read in ages. Quote, the early church was animated by the spirit to be the best of what modern charismatic community has to offer. Ray Back, I don't know who that is, once quipped that, quote, the liberation theologians had a preferential option for the poor, but the poor had a preferential option for the Pentecostals, which... I think is hilarious. Um, then we're going to keep reading. Certainly the growth of charismatic and Pentecostal churches amongst the world's poor can't be denied. In my experience, my being Ash, if there is a church based in a slum, it will nearly always be Pentecostal or charismatic. I wonder if a reason for this is an openness to the Spirit's work through ordinary people. God can quickly... In unusual ways, use ordinary people and is not limited to working through intellectual, highly educated leaders. Be open and the spirit can work through anyone, even me, they experience firsthand. I found that really helpful. Yeah. Understanding. Yeah. Absolutely. Me too. Um, And as he said, I think that also for me went, oh, that makes a lot of sense in terms of why mm. that might be the tradition or the yeah. way of viewing yeah. Jesus and the word um, because it doesn't require high education. And not that that's – I'm not saying that people in slums can't be educated because they should be and everyone deserves no, that like, and that opportunity, yeah. but the fact yeah. that that is it, – it's the reliance on the spirit – um, that's the important part there um, yeah. and the personal yeah. relationship, which I think yeah. yeah, it just really made sense. I was like, oh, yeah. Mm. Mm. And I think also mm. it's probably that, that engagement. Experience. Yeah, yeah, and the engagement with the spiritual as well, maybe more so. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. Ash's critique in the same way that his uh, critique of the uh, lowercase evangelical wing was to, you know, around how, our um 
our disciplines and our rhythms can become calcified and can become very, um, we can become very trapped in just this is the way we do things. His uh, critique of the, the charismatic is that there seems to be a, a move towards, you know, superstar leaders and, um, you know, big flashy churches and, you know, um, a, a level of, of Christian fame, um, which takes the takes the church away from its roots as a movement of the people um of everyone and you know if the if the best that the charismatic wing can offer is that experience of every single person being empowered in the moment by god's spirit um then when that starts to become focused on you know legendary uh you know hero pastors that mm. Really you lose becomes that. a becomes a problem, yeah. And alongside that, there's this this move towards you know respectability and mm. um, you know image um, and um, you know the, yeah this from you know in the in the moment of Pentecost, uh, the the disciples were so overwhelmed by their immediate experience of the Holy Spirit that they that people watching them said, "Oh, they're drunk." Mm. <laughs> um, that you know their image was not the forefront of their mind. Um, so I'll just read the last paragraph from this section on page 143. When was the last time we stepped away from our image making so that the spirit could use us in the ways only the spirit can? If we are going to end poverty, we need the spirit's gift in each of us to be used. Mm. We must step out in these ways and be a truly charismatic community. Mm. That's good. I love that because it comes, well, it's the surrender and trust again. Surrendering. And, yeah. 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 Um, sell all you have, look like a fool. Yeah. And come be a part of this community. Yeah. yeah. Come be yeah. part of this radical community. Yeah. Oh, this radical community. Ah. Now we move on to the radical church. Getting good at segues. Um, Getting great at segues. So, um, the the funny thing about radical church, as Ash is using it here, is he's actually referring to Christian traditions that a lot of us would kind of just assume are the least radical and most entrenched and most, um, you know, bureaucratic and... Um, structured um radical churches you know uh the catholic church has a long history of being very radical um where that's the kind of church we're talking about in this context more than the um you know the the pastor with the forearm tattoos and <gasps> the um you know meeting in a cafe kind of thing that <laughs> may still be true you've just described my not- pastor <laughs> I've described a lot of pastors. I've described a lot of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not talking radical in in image. Yeah. Uh, we're talking radical in activity. And in the best cases, in a lot of my my friends and the people that I yeah, am same. lovingly and in the spirit mocking. Yeah. Um, those two things go together. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> But yeah, so um, 
Continuing on from page 143 onto 144, quote, at Pentecost, the early church was empowered by the Spirit to be a truly radical community. One of the evidences of the Spirit's coming was that a group of ordinary people became a truly radical community, able to go to the roots of both true faith and the reasons for society's problems. They found a way to surrender to God in faithfulness and relevance. Now, here are some of the evidences of this in the early church. The early Christians were together. They shared life together. They held all things in common. They shared what they had beyond egos and claims of ownership. They sold their possessions and goods. They surrendered all that gave false identities. They distributed those possessions and goods to all as any had need. They shared belongings and found a way to redistribute wealth to those most in need. And they ensured that no one was in need. Poverty and injustice were defeated. End quote. Mm. Um, so this is, yeah, um, this this is this is the wing of the church that excites me most, uh, but is not like I said. I'm I'm from the evangelical wing. Mm. Um, I I have been formed there, um, but yeah, yeah. And and always the parts that stand out to me from the Acts story are these parts of mm. um, you know there there was at this point in early first century um, Jerusalem a community that eliminated poverty mm. as there have been throughout history mm. you know for for different periods of time all across the world um, but you know it is possible. Mm. Yeah, this is that part of the church where it's looking at living differently and being radical. Well, obviously, radical in the yes. way you live. Um, and it's definitely like hyper countercultural to our yeah. current Western 21st century culture. Yeah. Um, and I, I liked what Ash was saying later in the, or just a, on the next page. Um, mm. In terms of um, you know these, the acknowledging that you know some of these radical movements sometimes only last a short time, but yes. um, they can um, yeah. So one source of deep regret. Uh, this is on page one hundred and forty-five. Sorry, yeah. one source okay. of deep regret is the constant loss of community experiments by um, Protestant radicals after short periods of time. We've been a great at prophetic announcements critiquing what is wrong with our church and society, but we have had real trouble building communities that last long enough to see the transformation occur. Mm. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just sorry. think that's like really challenging and really interesting because it's yeah. almost like it's almost like this it's like a first generation thing that when it comes down to the next generations maybe it's less seems less desirable or i actually have no idea i'm not going to speak into what mm. that experience is like for people because I, I don't know i haven't been in that space of forming that kind of community or being formed in that kind of community and how that Im influences how you choose to live um but it's just it's just an interesting observation um yeah and something to mm. mull over i think mm. yeah yeah and so 
um, in the last couple of weeks, I had a, um, a bit of a, a plug for our other podcast, Mission Unplugged. Um, I had a chat with my mate, Ben Chong, who, um, and the, the conversation that we had at this point hasn't been released yet. So keep an eye on the feed in February. Um, but we had, a, we had a great chat around um, some explorations that he and his wife, uh, Chelsea, did meeting a uh, whole bunch of people from different, you know, radical Christian communities um, and, you know, living with them and observing them and asking them kind of how does this all work? How do you maintain how do you do this in the long haul communities like the one that ash um and his family were a part of in klong toy um and something that he talked about with me is that often when he'd ask people you know oh so how long have you been doing this oh we've been here 20 years um when did you start seeing like you know real fruit from your ministry it's like oh about five years ago Mm. like the amount of time that it takes to really embed into a community and to to you know live out this radical call to a different kind of life in a community takes a long time but we we live in a world of you know quick fixes results driven kind of stuff mm. and so you get all these people who are really excited about you know changing the world and then when it doesn't happen quickly they get discouraged and walk away or you know their um their church hierarchy shuts down the project because it's just you know Mm. it's not it's not delivering results um you know things like that and that's yeah it's really disappointing and challenging when we know that things take just so much time Mm. a frustrating amount of time to make a difference in the world would an example of that be like beach mission and stuff would you say like in a in a short kind of micro span of time Mm. would that be that kind of thing like i mean i've not done beach mission so i can't actually speak to that but i'm just wondering in terms of like living together in community kind of being in a Mm. commons kind of sense i can imagine Mm. it would be quite communal and sharing and stuff yes um yes Every beach mission is different. Um, oh, yeah, maybe just yeah, McRae. Yeah, the one McRae uh, we, we talked about, again, plug for Mission Unplugged, uh, with Emma Cox um, in the, the December episode, which is in the feed now. Um, just search Mission Unplugged wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but that's also a mission community that I've been a, a part of. Um, and, yeah, one of the challenges of that that space is so that that's a um, a how do I best describe this um, without just falling into describing program because that's really not what it's about. Um, you know the the McRae mission is to uh, here you go. Uh, the McRae mission is to. Camp with the campers, beach with the beachgoers, and be the aroma of Christ in everything that we do. Oh, and that's to beautiful. Invite people. It's good. That's isn't a that? beautiful that was, mission was, statement. That's Ros Cox, oh, uh, who was also oh. on the, the interview. Wow. Um, yeah, she's beautiful. beautiful. That, that's a beautiful mission statement that's like tasty and sticky and not wordy and just. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And in doing that, it's to, you know, to provide a sign witness and a foretaste of what the kingdom is and mm. to invite people to experience that for themselves and to learn about the stories of Jesus and to consider if this is something that they would like to invest in and um, you know, commit their lives to. Um, and along the way, we have a whole bunch of fun. Um, but yeah, one of the one of the challenges in those beach mission spaces is um, it's uh, you know a, a reasonably the the activities are short term. Mm. The mission is incredibly long term mm. because that mission has been running in one shape or another for the better part of seventy years. Um, and people like myself come along and are a small part of that um, story, you know, for a period of time. Um, but the people that the mission is uh, aiming to invite and include ha- have been there. You know, there, there are people in that caravan park every year who have been there for that 70 years just about. Mm. Um, grandparents and parents and kids all camping on the one site where they go every single year, um, mm. year on year on year on year. And you hit a point, which this is one of the really interesting things about this um, as an expression mm. of mission, you hit a point where the campers know the mission better than some of the people on the team. Mm. Because they've had the history with it. They've experienced Mm. it. They've lived the history. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's really, it's fascinating. Um, Yeah. It's a really interesting space. But, you know, a a, a challenge is, and I I personally have found this uh, incredibly difficult the entire time um, because you're only there for such a short period of time getting to know people and yeah. building up really strong relationships with them can be really hard mm. for people and then you know the team is constantly you know people join and finish you know join for a season and finish mm. as you know everyone does with all things mm. um but it can so often happen before you have a chance to really get to know people really well i reckon it was only you know my my most recent one was my ninth ish mission my last one because it was it was clear that it was time to move on it was only then that i was kind of having confidence to actually know people mm. uh in the community and i you know and that's that's me i'm not gifted in getting to know people mm. uh other people are uh, it takes them a lot less time but yeah i'm gonna keep mo- yeah. i'm gonna keep reading from where you ended left off yep. emily um because this next part is is particularly um exciting for me um but it also contains within it a really interesting challenge um so ash is going also going to name drop a couple of organizations or publications that he's written for um i'm just quote i've written extensively elsewhere about the need for broad-based discipleship movements as well as tighter more specialist apostolic communities Collective witness, submerge, and surrender all called for a return to early church structures that enable specialist apostolic communities to be related, given space, and supported to live out their gifts within broader church structures. These kinds of communities are almost second nature to Catholic structures with their various kinds of orders, congregations, and parishes. However, it is almost always the cause of argument and schism within Protestant ones. If we are to end poverty, We need Protestants to create specialist communities able to live out the gospel in radical, sustainable, and innovative ways without trying to be everything for everyone. 
Such communities can spark and support the kind of radical Christian movement required to change neighborhoods and communities and create new Pentecostal living for the multitudes. With which people will we risk our surrender? Will we be diligent in focusing more on being faithful as God's people with the poor rather than being quote-unquote relevant? Um, I really like this section yeah. and I'm just going to, I'm just going to, we can just drop it in and move on. <laughs> we are going to come back and talk about this stuff when we get to kingdom communities, a few books down in the reading mission uh, plan. Yeah. We're going to get there. I'm going to, there. This it's is on my bookshelf. Gonna, it's right there know, staring I'm, at me. You I'm bought it for me. you into us reading it on the podcast because I love it. Okay. But that is what. So I shouldn't read it over some of them. In this book. Even though it's been sitting on my bookshelf <laughs> for a year. Have you not read it? I've read, it. I read a bit, bit of it. Yeah. I sort of picked it up and put it down and so, picked up. So, you know, That's I did right. that thing. Yeah. I picked yeah. up and put down and I it's a picked up book. other it's things. It's one of my absolute and, favorites. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I think more, more and more um, as, I, as I think about churches and you know and structures and mission i reckon this this idea of specialist apostolic communities is really mm. valuable um i yeah i think our churches absolutely trip over their own feet as ash says trying to be all things to all yeah people. and we can't be you know, and that's not our call we can't be and we don't need to be we just can't. yeah exactly and i think exactly. there's freedom in that too going okay we can't be all things to all people but that's okay yeah. and then leaning into where we sit and our sweet spots. Yeah. But then also from yeah. that, acknowledging other people have other sweet spots and drawing on that too. Yeah. And, and being the body. Being the body. Being Thank you. the eye exactly when you're the eye and not say. trying to be the yes. hand. Yes, exactly. There are other communities out there that are better hands than you are if you're an eye. Yeah. And, if, yeah, and 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 those communities are desperate for an eye. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, when we when we talk, I, I I so often think that um, unexamined, so many of our churches would just attempt to grow to the point that all churches are that church that they mm. just you know everyone just joins in and everyone becomes you know the my my um church that I grew up in, everyone becomes Ringwood Church of Christ. Um and that we, you know, we we don't need other churches because all the Christians are here and everyone is mm. part of that community. And I'm not saying that Ringwood specifically does that. I'm just using the the name. Um that yeah, if we're not careful, that can be kind of how we just approach things by default. But that's not, you know, that's that's not effective. It's not mm. that's nowhere. In the Bible, like mm. one of the things that's consistent throughout the uh, the Acts narrative is just the different kind of tiers and sizes of Christian community, um, and that you know the the church in Jerusalem is made up of I'm going to pick a number out of the air a hundred smaller churches that are churches in their own right that marry that manage their own affairs and that gather and have their own rhythms and they meet in houses and then they all come and meet together. And when they are together, they are the church in Jerusalem, but that doesn't mean that they are, you know, one 
one worshipping body that meets together every time and that's when we are church, you know? Yeah. I wonder what the church would look like if we, well, probably look quite different and that's the point. Um, But moved back to that, the focus being about the micro gathering together in a smaller space with a smaller group of people and building out of there rather than trying to flip it the other way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, be it the other way around, which is radical. Mm. Well, I mean, I guess that's the Mm. point of this as well, radical in and of itself. Um, Yeah. And growing out of that rather than trying to grow down and out from a top down. Mm. It's the classic Mm. grassroots versus top down development models and community development. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're interested in any of that conversation, Join us again in, I don't know, six months when we read Kingdom Communities because that's going to be the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Hey, Mitchell, question. Oh, sorry. I was going to transition into this. You were were doing, you were teeing it up. I was was setting you up for a home run. Um, Yeah, yeah. How much does this question date this book in terms of its point, in terms of uh, Christian culture? What would Jesus do? <laughs> Did you ever it have the little as, as, band from Kurong and stuff? Yeah, or the it dates it as much as the title make possible. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> 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 but yes, I did have I did have a fair few uh, Kurong uh, rubber bracelets <laughs> with uh, WWJD. I at one point had. Um, do you remember those like those necklaces that? Um, oh, the beads. Yeah, I had like metal cube beads kind of thing. <gasps> you I had one of those. Did you have like spiky hair yeah. too? No, you didn't have the spiky no, hair. The, no. The, the main, the my main um, uh, rebellion against the the cultural trends of the nineties is that I don't like product in my hair, so I never had frosted <laughs> tips or gel. Oh, <laughs> more's the pity. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you're glad about that now. I am glad about that now, for sure. Um, but yeah, the the question, what would Jesus do, has uh, been a massive one. Uh, in the the Western Church in the last twenty twenty years, years. definitely yeah. fallen out of favor in terms of um, you know bookmarks and bracelets. But I mean, it's not bad though. Still, it's not a bad. It's I, not. Bad. I, I I'm mocking it because you know that's what we do but, with the things we grow up with and the nostalgia. But Absolutely. it's not a bad question Absolutely. to ask. It's not bad. The weakness of it is always um, it's a speculative question. Yes. Um, so perhaps a more helpful question is what did Jesus do? Mm. And taking our cue from that rather than trying to invent what we think Jesus would do. So W sorry, I'm I'm spelling w- it in W D J D. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. quite no. flow the same way. No. No, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. So maybe this question but we, as we edit Ash's yeah. book as we read, what did Jesus yeah. do about poverty? <laughs> But what would Jesus do about poverty is what this next section is. What would Jesus do about poverty? And look, this is my sweet spot. This is the thing that I am very interested in and 
after coming back off mission trips, would talk about and friend at my old work was like, you could write a thesis on that. Go do a doctorate. That's a that's a research paper right there. I was like, it is, but I don't want to be a doctor of anything like this. Um, what What this is talking about is Jesus came to save and be the saviour, but not to be with the people forever. Um, so, and the, and the metaphor or the, the terminology Ash uses through this section is fishing. So Jesus taught them yes. to fish and he gave fish, um, taught people how to fish, asked why there were no fish. So when Jesus turned the tables upside down at the temple and using the fish as like a, as a, I guess like the metaphor for, um, doing. You, you've all surely heard the phrase, you know, if you give a man a fish, he eats for the day. If you teach a man to fish, he eats for the rest of his life. Yes. And a lot of people have tried to apply that uh, parochial wisdom to relief and development work mm. um, and the, the ministry and mission of the church as a whole as well. But, yeah, as you're saying, Emily, Ash takes it uh, a few more. There's a few more steps that go beyond the, the binary option of giving and teaching. Yes. Um, so yeah. So the giving take us take us through. Yeah. So there's the giving and teaching. Um, so you know there are different times where Jesus you know feeds the hungry and does that. So if we're looking at that in the context of yeah. what we talk about, that's kind of your relief. That's the meeting immediate needs in the short term where they are. Yeah. So in the context of international aid and um, mm. you know if there's an emergency or a crisis situation, you know we. We all dig deep, we donate, and we send relief. Mm. Um, closer to home, you know, someone's fridge dies. We cook them a meal. Pitch in and we buy them a new fridge. Yeah. Yep. Cook them meals. Yep. Yep. Or we cook them cook Or both. Meals Combination. Replaced or fixed. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Blender There's washing no, machine. Never a one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's giving. Yeah. Yep. And has its place. There's teaching. And there's teaching. So yes. teach, teach, teach you how to fish. So, you know. Um, how to fix things or how to do the stuff in the way that is useful to the context in which you are working. Um, yeah. It's probably the easiest way. We know what education is. Education is very important. I don't think there's any yeah. um, anyone would disagree with that. Um, it's not, not often a fight you need to have. Yeah. yeah that we, we all kind of agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then asking why there are no fish. So why are things not there that should be there? Uh, but Ash said, um, uses the example of um, as Jesus did when he turned the tables upside down at the temple or the apostles did when they confronted rulers and crowds who were oppressing people. So looking at, you know, I guess you could look in our context of lobbying government for um, different issues, whether locally, nationally or globally, in terms of oppression and advocating and that being a place of advocacy. Um then modeling a new way to fish, so a new way to live a different way, and that's your different, like you're living in a radical way. And you know, what does it mean to live with people who you're serving, and all the different things that Jesus taught us, and you know, being part of your neighborhood and um, discipling, and being part of building an an option. Yes, an if alternative. This, if this isn't working, yeah, mm. there's an alternative vision, an alternative way of being that you can be a part of. Mm. And then finally, saw a new way to fish owned by the people. Yeah. Which is cool. 
Which is very cool. That's the coolest. It's very cool. Yes. yes. And in this section, Ash isn't bashing relief or education. No. Which I think is no. really important to point out um, and acknowledge because a lot of the time in these discussions, whether in church circles or not, it's one or the other. It's either relief and education yeah. or not. But it's not a process where in which you don't, you can't do one or the other. You can have both as long as you're. You can. You. Yeah. you and. Yeah. And you, you need you need all of these. All all five of these approaches need to work in tandem for us to get anywhere. Um, you know, if if someone is you know, if a if a family in your community is starving and you jump to, well, we are gonna make sure that um, you know, we're we're gonna lobby government about why you know, the root causes of this this mm. uh this poverty, this injustice, this is a, you know, a horrible systemic oppression. You can be right, mm. but they're still hungry. Mm. Um, or you, you know, can keep feeding them, be... but then that doesn't. No, I don't want to say that. Um... Yeah, no, but the 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 flip side the flip side is the same. If we only stay in relief and we are you know creating systems of dependence, mm. we're not actually addressing any of the fundamental mm. issues, and the the family is not protected from sliding back into poverty mm. if for some reason the the stream of you know mm. meals or you know funds was for some reason cut off or yes. no longer available to them you know the people who were giving generously move away and are called to to give generously elsewhere mm. the family themselves might you know move away and all of a sudden they're they're back to you know mm. square one yeah um, we can't do any one of these things without others yeah definitely um, and then ash goes on in this chapter or this section to talk about you know what does it mean to live then with people who are in that situation um or mm. in in places that are not beautiful or not sexy as he says he said perhaps the call mm. to live among poor people to see a liberating christian neighborhood movement is simply more costly and less sexy as to why maybe we don't engage with that um yeah. And that's exactly what you were just talking about before in terms of it 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 can be a harder slog. Mm. The likelihood of seeing short-term results is yeah. not necessarily going to happen or it might be the yeah. the the little wins are few and far between rather than being yeah. all at once. Um and that can be disheartening, that can be really challenging. Um yeah. And in part of this, he yeah. also goes on to talk about, you know, when you're releasing a community, moving from that relief and that education space into, you know, maybe modelling new ways to fish or um, um, or, or seeing new ways to fish, it's, it's this relinquishness of control at your end, which then, which also can be very challenging. Um, yeah, 100%. I think this is absolutely one of the the most valuable parts of this chapter is this discussion of Ash's experience of you know he and his family and the the team at Uno worked really hard to you know provide relief provide mm. education advocate ask why there weren't any fish 
model an alternative way of of being and relating to one another. And then they get to a point where that work has been done and people are educated. They mm. have the tools that they need to start, you know, creating their own flourishing communities and starting businesses and leading, pardon me, leading their own churches and doing all of this stuff. Mm. And then Ash and you know and the family need to let go. Mm. They need to find a way to let people have mm. control and authority over their, mm. uh, the work that they're doing so that those things can be authentic expressions of local communities. Mm. Um, I'm going to read a uh, passage from page 148. Quote, With relief, we can feel good about giving, but with transformation, we have far more at stake than spare cash. It is hard to go past power as a motivation to stay in relief. In relief, we are totally in control. By the time we see a transforming movement emerge, we who may initiate it are out of control. With respect to the last two points above, the body of Christ has something unique to offer the world. Jesus and the apostolic bands showed that the poor and those in solidarity with the poor are new way to fish. Neighborhoods can gather together as a social movement to end poverty as we know it by following Jesus in the authority of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, yeah, giving up control sucks. Mm. That was one of my <laughs> comments here. OMG, so easy to talk about, so hard to do. Yeah, yeah. And I love that. Um, so, so Ash goes on to talk about, um, you know, particularly a, a church congregation, or, or uh, actually multiple church congregations that he's been a part of, and been a part of, you know, raising up leaders and, mm. um, you know, building up these communities in their early days, and then handing them on to other people to um, to steward, <laughs> um, and. You know, that's that's really hard. Mm. Um, page still on page one hundred and forty-eight. Quote: Yet with transformation of others came a lack of control for me. I was once told that quote a truly indigenous church is the one the missionaries hate. End quote. I'm not so sure that this is always the case. Yet. Having trouble letting go is a very real temptation, especially mm. if converts run things in a way that makes me cringe. Given, the communities, given that communities facing poverty often struggle to analyze their situations, I find it hard to shut up and allow the people to go through the process of learning without my input. This was especially the case when televangelists started filling our community with ideas of prosperity and blessing being what you own. Yet, when a church is autonomous from us, we can only dialogue, not order. Our authority is more prophetic and medicine man-like than structural yeah, and chief-like. I love that. God has made those local leaders responsible for the project or church, after all, and not me. We have to trust that the Bible and the Holy Spirit can guide them as they've guided us. 
This isn't foolproof, but it does promote maturity and allows a true movement of the people to emerge that can be God's answer to the cries of their hearts. Yeah, it's good, hey? Mm. It's challenging. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I think I think something that I something I scribbled in the margins that um, stood out to me from that is I think we can often fall into a, a false binary of I'm either in control or I have no say. Um, but something that's really helpful in this is, um, as Ash says, we can only dialogue, not order. Our authority is more prophetic and medicine man-like than structural and chief-like. Ash and you know uh, are still involved and still dialogue partners. You know, we there are there are lots of ways to influence and encourage uh, the people around us that don't involve taking control. Mm. And I mean, that's that's what we see Jesus do time and time again. Mm. That's that's God as well, the the influencer. Bad word in this day and age, but. Uh, like and subscribe, <laughs> hit the bell notifications so you get notified when I upload a video. I can see the ring light in your glasses and I know you can see mine in mine. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's lots of ways. And and just because you're giving up control doesn't mean that you are um, not a valuable voice walking away yeah. from being able to dialogue in. It's just that your voice isn't any more special than anyone else's. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I think one of my last favorite bits about, um, this whole idea of relief, um, and, and just the role of Christian movements in this space as well. Um, for me, which this is a question that I've got, uh, a wrestle, a challenge that I think is always going to be present is this whole thing of, um, what what where is the point of harmonious coexistence between faith and development um how do they mm. exist together in a way that brings jesus but also brings practical support and brings mm. a model of a new life that is culturally relevant that is appropriate to context that is post-colonial and not yeah not something of um, dependency. Um, yeah, that yeah. that that is the medicine, like medicine man versus the chief in these contexts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So from here, we are actually going to step away from Acts and jump ahead to the book of James or the letter of James. Now, the next chapter, we're going to spend a whole bunch more time talking about uh, the epistles, the letters, um, mostly focusing on Paul's writing. But uh, this time we're going to jump to James, uh, one of my absolute favorite books, which means uh, Martin Luther and I might get in a fist fight. Um, Martin Luther famously described James as an epistle of straw, saying that there is nothing of the gospel in it. There you go. Which, you know, good on you, Martin Luther, for uh, all that you did for, you know, generally Protestantism. Uh, you're wrong on that one. <laughs> you're basic. <laughs> Sorry. Just a little good place reference there for anyone who's into the good place. We've hit the good place portion of the evening, people. 
Let's get into some more existential universalism. <laughs> who died and let, let uh, who died and made Aristotle in charge of ethics? Plato did. Plato, <laughs> <laughs> the funniest guy. Oh, so literally <laughs> Plato, and I love that guy. Literally Plato. Uh, <laughs> As he points to the whiteboard. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm going to jump to uh, page 150. And just going to read. Just going to read a big old chunk. Poverty disempowers people and communities, making them victims of injustice. Since God is just, he has priority for those facing injustice. If we are to follow the Lord together, then the poor must become our priority too. Will our churches identify that poor as central to God? How then do the non-poor and poor find their solidarity together and find their new identities? In the New Testament, the remedy for false identity is discipleship and community. This sense of belonging can help poor and non-poor alike to live as God intends and resist the temptations of false identities. The body of Christ is to be the first fruits of God's reign. It is not the same as God's reign, but should be the visible expression of it, demonstrating to neighbours what is eternal, being a role model of what God's reign is all about. It is, not, it is also not the same as a nation-state, for it seeks to be a voluntary movement, showing the broader society what is possible with God. Yeah, that's um, so good. Yeah. I love that. In in summary of this whole chapter, that bit I just read. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I think that's yeah. beautiful. And once again, takes the pressure off having to be the kingdom. It's we are yeah. the imperfect expressions or um, we are, we are, but mm, no, maybe that's not right. We are not. God's kingdom, but we are a part of God's kingdom and the fruit of that. Yeah. 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 And and growing the kingdom does not mean growing the church. Yes. Uh, and growing the church does not mean growing the kingdom. Mm. Um, yeah. So, Emily, what does solidarity mean to you? Standing together. Being together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe standing as one, I would say. Mm. Being unified. Yeah. 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 100%. Um, this, this idea of solidarity is pretty key in this section of the chapter and kind of rounds out um, what we've been talking about. And for me, uh, a big part of what solidarity is, is exactly as you say, standing as, as one in the sense that my, uh, I was going to do a half quote, so I'm not going to do that because I can't actually do the proper quote. So I'm going to have to find my own words to do it. Um, my life is bound up in yours and my flourishing is dependent on your flourishing and the things that affect you affect me as well. Um, you know, at the, at the deepest levels of solidarity is if if something happens to you it happens to me as well and if you respond to something i will respond with you as well um and i yeah and that's something that's really important in um 
making poverty personal. It's, you know, if we, if we take an impersonal approach, we can very easily fall into the patterns that we've seen throughout history of, you know, mm. we are going to do, you know, a, a really toxic and harmful version of relief of like, you know, here, here's food, here's funds, here's expertise, but in return, you must do mm. this, that, and the other thing for us. Um, solidarity takes us to a place where we are we are giving out of our out of what we have to people who need it because we know that the things that affect them affect us as well. Um, yeah, something that sort of I, I've got a question here that I'll that kind of feeds yeah. into this. It's this quote from that Ash has in here on page 151 from the I'm going to screw yeah. these names up so bad. Yeah, go for but it. Go for it. Here we Come go because you can read them but doesn't mean you can speak them. Um, in the Brothers Karamazovs. Karamazov. Uh, <laughs> thanks. Um, <laughs> does it, Dvesky, no, just Tom. Dostoyevsky. 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 Oh, I can hear it in my I head. Know, I know, so can I. <laughs> um, character Ivan says to Aloysia um, Karamazov. Um, Apologies to all so, of I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't mean <laughs> to be bad. I just am just only good at English. Um, <laughs> but even then it's questionable. Um <laughs> oh, dear. oh dear. But this is a serious this is a serious moment of actual gravity mm. that might round this chapter this section off. So one can love one's neighbor in the abstract or even at a distance, but at close range it's almost impossible. So while we're looking at this big picture of global what what for us is the close range? What's our close range neighbor, and how? Because it, it is easy to love in the abstract, in the yeah the the distance. Because there is the distance that it isn't right in your space. It isn't consuming yeah. your world. So what does it doesn't it, demand anything of you outside of what you're willing you can to give do it. it on your yeah. You can do you can love on your own terms. Yeah, um, yeah. So then, what does it yeah. look like to then? love at a close range or what does it look like to mm. do that in a close range where we are, which kind yeah. of is what we were talking a bit yeah. about last week as well of like, you know, not everyone needs to go overseas and be an international missionary mm. and sometimes mm. it's harder mm. to not be that. Um, yeah. 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 But it's, it's the, the challenge of what solidarity is mm. um, that like that is, that is the question. Mm. It's, um, yeah, it's really hard mm. to love actual people. Mm. Uh, it's much easier to love abstract people, but there are no abstract people. Yeah. Uh, they, they don't exist. Um, in, in reflection on your, your question or the, the question from Dots, Dostoyevsky. Um, I'm going to read a, a bit from page 151 as well. Quote, in such an age, solidarity should be a key theme in following Jesus for those of us who are non-poor. 
It speaks of standing with the poor, not just deciding what to do for them. It speaks of joining our lives together to fight injustice, to have a stake in a common future together. Mm. And that, that I think, is the, is the essential understanding of solidarity and is more and more relevant every day in a, a, a pandemic world and in a climate crisis world. Yeah, when our um, worlds are becoming we, smaller we have- and closer together. Yeah, we have hit the point in history where it is now impossible to pretend that the the flourishing and health of a nation like Australia is not dependent on the flourishing and health of every other country mm. around the world mm. and vice versa. Um and the the people in within them like, you know, yeah, we we have to understand in a sense of solidarity that our lives and our fortunes are bound up with one another and there is no such thing as an individual Mm. there is only you know we we are all tied up together whether we want to be or not Mm. Mm. Um, yeah so ash's uh ash's suggestion or challenge to us is that um you know Discipleship is a really important part mm. of what what it looks like to respond to this. Mm. Um, and you know, I, I yeah, discipleship as we see it carried out in the Bible is this really whole of life experience where you know the the people that we we think of as the disciples, you know, followed Jesus for a period of three years or so. And did all of life together. They saw each other at their best. They saw each other at their worst. Um, and there was this deep, intimate um, relationship experience mm. of yeah, of learning from one another. Um, and so, for us to to disciple people is to invite them into our whole life. Mm. Uh, it's it's so much more than just you know bestowing uh, some a wisdom Bible study yeah 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 no discipleship involves you know inviting people over to your house and having them sit around while you cook dinner mm. um, it involves you know playing alongside them on the sports field or you know. I clearly don't have a bunch of examples locked and loaded. <laughs> I've found in like my own discipleship journey, some of my favorite mm. times have been when we've just been at like the person who's my like mentor, disciple, yeah. tag it as you will, um, yeah. place. And we're just sitting at the breakfast bar and either mm. like, cooking or doing dishes or like cooking dinner together yeah. or like whatever. Cause I'm like hanging around. It's like stay for dinner. Okay. What can I do? How can I help doing things like that? Where it's like you're doing life together mm. or, um, yeah. or even like, you know, going to my different family members places where, you know, got kids and stuff. It's like helping out with the washing or like mm. helping out, mm stacking the dishwasher or on stack like just you know those yeah. sort of things where you just yeah. lack literally just doing life together yeah. um and in it and it's like yeah cool this is great i love this mm. 
a, a friend and a mentor and a teacher from a few years ago who used to he drove us all up the wall with this uh, repeated saying of how how you do this is how you do everything, whatever this happened to be at the time. Um, and I think that's, you know, as you're doing the dishes, how you do this is how you do everything. How can you, what do you learn from the ways mm. that you do the dishes? What do you, you know, from observing people, um, what can we, what can God teach us mm. about ourselves, about the world through the simple act of doing the dishes? Mm. Um, mm. So, Emily, as we come to the end of our time tonight, um, what are you going to continue to wrestle with from this chapter? There's so much goodness in this chapter. Um, there is, isn't there? It's a tough one to ask that question. Yeah. I think um, maybe being, it's not even just an openness, exploring the other branches of the triangle more in terms of what it means to mm. live out faith. Um, yeah. yeah. Because there's not one right way to do it. And no. there's not a rule book. Um, I mean, well, no, the Bible's not a rule book. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, just willing to sit in that, some of that more maybe uncomfortable spaces of where I haven't mm. been exposed to as much. Yeah. Similarly, I, I've been thinking about that as well and, I'm also thinking that I would like to explore where are the communities that are living out of those traditional spaces in ways that mine doesn't mm. um, and how can we learn, you know, but yeah, how can we best be together for the benefit of the community around us? Mm. Um, yeah. So I'll continue to explore. I don't, don't, don't know where no, to start. off the top of my head where there are <laughs> any uh, Pentecostal churches in my area and um, any, any um, you know, radical Catholic communities. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, I'll start asking around. Yeah. Sounds good. So, Emily, do you have a benediction for us this week? I sure do. May God bless you with a restless discomfort about easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may seek truth boldly and love deeply within your heart. May God bless you with a holy anger at injustice, oppression, and the exploitation of people so that you may tirelessly work for justice, freedom, and the peace among all people. May God bless you with the gift of tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and the loss of all that they cherish so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and transform their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you really can make a difference in this world so that you are able, with God's grace, to do what others claim cannot be done. Mm. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So we will be back, not in two weeks' time, but in four weeks' time on January the 18th. We are taking a quick break over uh, Christmas and into the early new year. Um, but our next episode will be on Chapter 7, Epistles, Letters from Jail and Other Tough Places of Discipleship. So really do encourage you to join us. Jump on the Discord, embody.org.au slash Discord. 
and the links are in the show notes and all of the details about dates and times are in the events tab on the discord um, so i hope you if you are if you're listening when this episode goes live or in uh, 12 months time i wish you a wonderful merry christmas a happy new year and we will continue to connect with you in 2021 no it is 2021 in 2022 and beyond see ya thanks for listening to reading mission a podcast by embody if you enjoyed this conversation please rate and review us so more people can find us And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Every episode of Reading Mission is recorded live in our Discord server. So if you want to join in the live discussion and connect with other people exploring mission, justice, and social change together, head to embody.org.au slash discord to join in. Embody is a national community of young people passionate about mission locally, nationally, and globally. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at embodyau and visit our website at embody.org.au. All the links are in the show notes. Embody is part of the Global Mission Partners family. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia and pay respects to elders past and present. We recognise their continuing connections to land, water and culture. Music in the show is by Josh Woodward. We'll catch you next time and thanks for listening to Reading Mission. Reading Mission.